Good morning. It is Sunday, May 17th. This is Dr. Paul Wendy with the Intrinsic Value Wealth Report Radio. Uh, we have our commentary section that we are going to review today uh, from uh, Monday, uh, May 11th. And uh, let's get started. Um, so let's see. Uh, first point is the uh, headline article, uh, the lead article that we have for the other uh, newsletter. Uh, is an article which I entitled, um, Is Ignoring the Coronavirus an Irrational Thing to Do? So this comes about from discussions I've been having with many people over the last uh, few weeks about this whole coronavirus um, situation that we're in. It, it appears to me, <clears throat> excuse me, that many, many people are seem to be ignoring the, uh, the virus <clears throat> in a somewhat irrational fashion. At least it seems irrational to me. And here's, here's my thinking on that. Um, as I say in the, uh, the headline article, for me to say that this may be irrational means that I have to believe that COVID-19 is a dangerous virus uh, with no vaccine and no cure currently, and that many people are at risk of serious illness or death as a result of getting the virus. Um, I believe that is indeed the case. Um, and furthermore, for me to say that um, people seem to be acting in an irrational manner um, this comes from my observations that people, many, many people, just don't seem to be really adhering to the, um, you know, the lockdown, the um, social distancing, the, um, you know, wearing masks and so forth. Um, and so, uh, you know, given that, that I believe it is a very serious um, uh, pandemic that we're in and that it appears to me that people... Uh, by and large, or many, many people, I should say, don't seem to be really adhering to the um, precautions that have been put into place. I've thought a little bit more about this and written this article uh, that I have in the, um, in the, new, in the newsletter. So um, here's my thoughts on that. My hunch is that this behavior, that is you know, downplaying the importance of the, uh, of the virus, may be somewhat related to the same phenomena that uh, uh, people exhibit uh, with regards to forest fires when given evacuation orders. Um, now, the forestry departments actually studied uh, the phenomena of people refusing to evacuate forest fires. We live in Southern California, so we see this all the time. Uh, for those of you in other parts of the country that, uh, that may not be quite so familiar with this phenomena, here's what happened is you get, you get a forest fire people living in particularly remote areas up in the mountains and so forth, uh, they, don't, they don't want to leave. They don't want to um, you know, leave their homes. They want to try and, and stay as long as possible. They don't want to leave their possessions. Um, and, and this is all good. I, I completely get that. Um, you know, many of them think that they're going to stay at the house and uh, with their garden hose, wet things down and, and keep the fire out. Well, the fire department comes around, the forestry department, and says, you know, uh, it's time to evacuate. The fire is out of control for this area, and you need to evacuate for your own safety. Most people do evacuate, some don't. And so the fire, forestry departments, you know, studied this phenomenon to try and figure out, um, you know, why, why people do this, because that's obviously an important consideration for them. Well, here's some of their findings uh, from the forestry department and from other groups as well. So the first reason uh, that I came across in researching this a little bit is that many people just don't believe that you know this could happen to them. They're ordinary people. You know things like this happen to other people. It's it's not going to happen to them. Um, a second reason that uh, people may not want to uh, evacuate is 
they they think the government is is too controlling, um, and that uh, you know they're not gonna they're not gonna listen <laughs> to the government, whatever government authorities it is, whether it's the fire department or or whoever. They're you know that's just not something they're going to do, okay? They're not going to let the government control their lives. Um, a third reason, um, and by the way, I, I don't disagree with that, that conclusion in general. I, I, you know, being a very freedom-loving person, um, you know, uh, libertarian in nature, uh, leaning toward less government, um, you know, I, 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 I agree with people's uh, feelings on that. Um, but, as I say here in the, uh, in the newsletter, uh, when it comes to forest fires, severe se uh, severe weather warnings, and pandemics by reputable uh, warnings of pandemics by reputable health officials, um, I, I do tend to listen. I think I think we all need to. Um, a third reason <clears throat> uh, is kind of related to the first one is, and that is that a lot of people just think the government's overreacting. That this coronavirus really isn't that big a deal, um, and that you know governments need to. To get involved in things, and this is just one more thing they're doing. Um, you know, there could be something to that, but but in this case, I personally don't think so. Um, a fourth reason, and I think this is a big one, is that uh, people just may simply be misjudging the situation. That happens with forest fires. You know, when people stay around to try and fight the forest fire, they just don't perceive how dangerous the situation really is until it's too late, and then they can't uh, they can't get out of there in time. Um, and unfortunately, too, when that happens, they put other uh, people at risk, the uh, firefighters and the first responders and so forth that have to, uh, to try to save them. Um, and, you know, as human beings, uh, and I've been doing quite a bit of study on this uh, recently. Of course, I've uh, studied this for, for years through various disciplines uh, that I've studied, but, but I've been, been doing a lot of work on this recently, partly for a class I'm teaching this summer at one of the universities I teach at on the class is going to be on decision making um, and uh, you know strategy and so forth it's a man management class um, and so uh, it turns out that you know we as human beings are not very good processors of information um, which is one reason that computers have been such a great thing for us because you know we we can we can understand phenomena many times um, and in fact, a lot of the uh, the systems that we've created, things like what this goes way way back, I think to the 1950s or so, um, what we call expert systems. The idea the the idea there is to take and create a system where experts will put into a an algorithm of some sort um, how to figure out a problem. But when it comes to actually figuring out the problem, those same experts that said what you should consider when you um, you know, when you're going through this algorithm process, the computer does a much better job of figuring out the, uh, uh, the actual solution than what the experts themselves do. Again, it's because we as human beings are not, are not good processors of, of information for a whole bunch of reasons, which we'll cover in future podcasts and articles and um, our YouTube TV station and so forth um, on the subjects of, you know, generally um, behavioral economics and behavioral finance and so forth. But that's, that's for a later date. So that's, that's kind of the fourth reason is that, you know, people just simply misjudge um, how bad the situation is and, until it's too late and then they find themselves in a situation um, that they can't recover from. I'm a little bit afraid that that's happening with the coronavirus um, on a global basis. 
A, le a fifth reason uh, why people don't evacuate, or, or why people don't evacuate forest fires, and why they might be ignoring the coronavirus, um, this is certainly less common, but it does happen in some cases, um, is that there are some people that suffer from clinical depression, and some of those might consider this to be an option out of their problems. Uh, again, probably not a common problem, but it was one of the ones that I ran across in my uh, my research. Um, a sixth reason for um, uh, the reason that people may be that people refuse to evacuate and may also being may be uh, ignoring the uh, the the real danger of the coronavirus situation is it's at a more emotional level, you know. And many many people uh, operate all the time at an emotional level, not a real rational level. Um, and so then finally, kind of a seventh reason, I guess, is that, um, you know, this simply could just be a, um, a manifestation of what we call herd behavior. Um, you know, the idea that if, you know, you've, you've heard about animals that uh, oftentimes will be running toward a cliff and they'll, you know, the first ones will jump off and everyone right behind them will, uh, will jump off. Um, humans aren't quite that bad, but they're, they're not far behind. And, um, you know, now for sort of the punchline of this story, uh, um, uh, if, if you want to call it that, is, um, uh, you know, what, whatever people's reasons are for refusing to evacuate forest fires and, and also refusing to, um, uh, you know, maybe put the, the correct or the proper amount of concern into the coronavirus. So here, here's, the, uh, here's kind of the punchline to this. So um, firefighters... Uh, will take the names of people that refuse to evacuate. You know, they'll go through and they'll say, "Sir, ma'am, you know, you guys need to evacuate. The fire's fire is is um, is approaching. It's dangerous. Um, if you don't evacuate now, you won't get out in time." And some people just refuse. They take their names down, and it is not, by the way, to penalize them. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's to uh, to notify their next again. All right. Well, on that note. Um, let me uh, let me move on uh, to the uh, the the headlines for last week. The headline articles. There's not that many this week, but they're important ones. Um, and again, what I try to do with these headlines every week is just to um, kind of keep track of what's happening in the economy, in the investment world, um, in the world at large, um, so that we can become better at understanding the economic situation we're in, that we can better become better investors, understanding the investment climate, um, and so forth. So, uh, so here's some of the, uh, the, the headlines, again, just to kind of keep track of what's going on. Um, Neiman Marcus and J.C. Crew um, companies have both filed uh, for bankruptcy. Um, United Airlines uh, expects to shrink, shrink its management and administrative staff by 30%. G, uh, GE General Electric is cutting 13,000 jobs in its jet engine business. Uh, Airbnb is cutting a fourth of its workforce. Uber plans to cut about 14% of its workforce. Lyft has already cut 17% uh, as of last week. So, you know, companies are going filing for bankruptcy. These are, by the way, these are voluntary bankruptcies. They're, you know, uh, when you do a voluntary bankruptcy, it's really to try and reorganize. But it's, when you do a voluntary bankruptcy, the the, uh, the companies are basically saying, you know, I'm throwing in the, I'm not throwing in the towel, but I'm just, we're, we're in trouble. We need time to kind of regroup. Um, and of course, many, many companies are doing that uh, now with this, with this situation. Um, the 
federal government uh, expects to borrow a record $4.5 trillion um, this fiscal year. I mean, these are not small numbers. $4.5 trillion is what the federal government is expecting to have to, uh, uh, to borrow as a result of this. Um, this is just the new coronavirus situation. Um, many economists expect this to be the worst economic downturn uh, uh, in this country since the Great Depression. Um, California has become the first state to borrow from the federal government in order to pay for the jobless benefit claims. Uh, and as we know, the jobless benefit claims have just been uh, astronomical. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, the U.S. trade deficit widened in March. Um, you, uh, EU, European Union officials, have projected that the Eurozone, Eurozone economy will suffer a recession of historic purport, proportions this year. Um, so this is a you know, global situation um, in, in all regions and countries um, and areas of the world. Um, in order to try and uh, you know, increase the borrowing capacity of the government and pay for all the, all the stuff that's going on here, uh, the U.S. Treasury plans to issue longer dated bonds, um, including a new 20-year bond issue. Um, so far, in the last uh, few months since all this coronavirus situation has been developing, the Treasury has been issuing primarily shorter-term T-bills um, to, to really borrow money, but you know, they recognize the need to, uh, to borrow on a longer-term basis. That's why they're issuing these longer dated bonds. Um, and here's an interesting point, uh, which um, I've thought about a little bit, but uh, it's good to hear some, you know, get, get some good hard data behind this. CBS has warned of what they see as a possible significant increase in health problems that are unrelated to the coronavirus, just because people are, because they're so concerned about the coronavirus, um, they're ignoring um, their other healthcare needs. Um, and then kind of the last headline, unemployment has grown by another 3.2 million in the past week uh, to a total now of 33.5 million uh, since the advent of the shutdown to the virus. So in April, uh, unemployment reached 14.7%. Unemployment rate of 14.7%, folks, that's, that's a lot. Um, okay, <clears throat> with that, and by the way, the market has, has been um, staying up, and, and this is a point I'll address here in just a moment, but you know, the Dow was up uh, in the past week 2.6%, uh, the S&P was up 3.5%, and the Aztec was up 6%. Uh, 10-year Treasury yield, uh, as we know, they've been at low, low uh, rates, uh, so the uh, Treasury yield, 10-year um, Treasury yield closed at less than a percent, uh, 0 0.6, sorry, 0.679 percent. Uh, gold closed at $1,709.90 an ounce. And oils come back a little bit, uh, closing at $24.74 for the week. All right. With that, let me move on to some of the short-term economic uh, indicators. Um, they've finally started catching up uh, with what's going on. Um, you know, there's several that we follow that are actually all um, uh, indicators that are published by uh, uh, several of the branches of the Federal Reserve. So the Arubo Diebold Scotty Business in, uh, Condition in Index has um, really dropped. It was doing very, very nicely in 2019 at the beginning of the year, indicating what was then expected to be and indicating to be you know, fairly strong economic conditions. Um, and then it finally caught up and dropped. There's actually a chart in this week's um, commentary for the Intrinsic Value Wealth Report you might want to look at 
um, and it shows the, the different curves of that index um, over the last few weeks. Uh, the GDP now model uh, index, <coughs> uh, again, it finally caught up. So it's projecting second quarter GDP growth of a minus 42.8%. Now remember, we've been talking about uh, some of the forecasts uh, for GDP growth, um, and you know they've all come down quite a bit. Minus 42.8%, that's the lowest I've seen in an official forecast uh, so far. Uh, the New York Fed staff now cast model shows a minus 31.1% drop in uh, Q2, second quarter. Um, and the Chicago Fed National Activity Index, that hasn't been updated in a while, so we won't even cover that right now because it's kind of out of date. Um, AAII's uh, sentiment survey um, shows a little bit more bearishness viewpoints. 23.3% um, of the people uh, thought we might be in a bullish um, uh, environment over the next six months. Um, uh, 21, 20, I'm sorry, 26.1% of the people thought we were going to be neutral, or they were neutral in their opinion, and uh, a little bit over half, 50.6% of the respondents in their survey are, are bearish. Um, the uh, Survey of Professional Forecasters, again, that's published in the commentary, but I won't go through it here because it's um, hopelessly out of date, having only been published in February, but with really pretty much this whole economic crisis happening since then. Um, those numbers really aren't relevant anymore, but they're kind of fun to look at if you have an interest. Uh, the next update on that will actually be on May 15th, so that's coming up, and then we'll, we'll uh, mention that here in the podcast uh, when that's updated. However, the National Association for Business Economists, NABE, um, of which I'm a member, uh, did come up with their forecast. Again, you can read the, uh, the whole forecast. Um, but they're expecting for, uh, uh, let's see, Q2, yeah, second quarter, uh, back when they did this <clears throat> at the beginning of April, they were expecting a minus 26.5%. So, you know, NABE economists in April projecting minus 96.5%. Uh, the New York Fed now cast model projecting a minus 31.1% for Q2, and the uh, GDP model um, projecting a minus 42.8%. Those are all huge negative numbers. Really doesn't matter which number you grasp. Um, the, the point is Q2 is going to be bad, and we know that we can, we're sitting at home or watching what's going on around us, or to be more precise, what's not going on around us. So, um, so we know the depths of this. Uh, uh, of this economic crisis that we're in. Are we in a recession or depression? Uh, I'm sorry, are we, yeah, a recession or depression? You know, I, I don't know. I, we're, we're certainly in a, in a recession. Now, we could be in a, in a depression. Um, recessions and depressions usually aren't really uh, called as such until usually quite some time, like even, you know, a year or so later after the, the events happened. Um, um, so, I think we're going to have to wait a long time to find out what the official prognosis is, but certainly we're in, we're in a very, um, uh, very deep economic crisis right now. Again, we all know that. We, we feel it. We see it every day. Um, okay, for the stock market valuations, um, th this is the really baffling thing still. Um, the, the Dow closed last week, Friday, um, at, 20, at a PD ratio, historical PD ratio of 20.33 out of the Dow. The S&P closed at a historical PD ratio of 21.01. That is not a cheap market, folks. 
Um, so I reiterate what we've been saying for quite some time. You know, now is not the time to jump uh, back in with both feet. However, if you do want to continue your investment program, um, I, I think that's okay. If you, you know, if you have a long-term investment program, and I hope that you all do, um, uh, then then you'll con continue that. But but don't be jumping back in. This is not a, a cheap market by any means. Um, and you know, if you just look at valuations, and that's what we do. Um, the you know the the, the uh, an expectation would be could be that the market could drop some more and with the bad economic news that is out there uh, and that's coming at us every day I think that the economy is in worse shape than most people realize many economists um, are tuned into this pretty well I know how bad the economy is and you know I read those reports on a daily basis and study the phenomena our own econometric model again is projecting a uh, uh, you know a, a, a bad economy for for quite some time to come so um, with that bad economic news out there right now on a daily basis and with more bad news coming and the long-term effect at least in the next couple of years on the economy um, I don't think the market is pricing uh, that information correctly so um, again I always I, I like to refer you back to um, the chart uh, this was actually in, in the April 27th issue of the uh, economic uh, economic sorry intrinsic value wealth report newsletter um, uh, in that um, lead article I refer you to a chart that I have in our sister publication the original publication called intrinsic value wealth report which is the educational website um, I really encourage you to go back to that article click that link um, and look at that chart because that will show you on a very very long-term basis um, what happens to markets that become overvalued and we're actually in a market right now at 20.33 and 21.01 where if you invest in a big way in this market right now um, your expectation would be um, you know pretty close to a zero possibly even a, a minus a negative return over the subsequent 10 years so again it's not a not a cheap market but uh, it, it's, it's okay, I think, to continue investing, um, you know, just a little bit on a, uh, you know, if you have a long-term investment program, because um, we don't know, markets do stay overvalued for long periods of time. Um, but just, you know, based on valuation, this is not a cheap market. By the way, we're going to talk about here in the next few weeks, either in the commentary or I may do a separate podcast, <clears throat> on something called do dollar cost averaging. And so when you dollar cost average, you're, again, you're, you're just putting money in at intervals um, of, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, weekly, monthly, quarterly. Um, uh, you know, quarterly is probably the longest interval you should go. But you could, you know, if you want to just put in some money every year, you know, if you make an IRA contribution, you know, once a year and you want to invest in the market, then, you know, that's one way to do it. But, you know, I would say probably monthly or quarterly, you want to put little bits of money in. Uh, to whatever, whether it's your IRA or whether it's a regular um, just investment program you have. And the dollar cost averaging um, works, especially in a down, downward trending market. Um, uh, it, it works to get you better prices overall. So if you're putting a little bit of money and if the market does start trending down, then you're, you're going to be getting stocks at 
at cheaper prices. If the market's going up, it doesn't work quite as well. But again, you're going to at least get some prices lower and then some prices higher. And um, So anyway, dollar cost averaging is an approach that's been used for decades, if not longer. Um, good approach to investing in the stock market. Uh, keeps you away from trying to time the market, which is never a good idea. Um, so that is, uh, uh, that's one thing, we're, again, we'll cover in uh, uh, future podcasts. So I want to mention just uh, two more things real quickly here. First, a real quick announcement. Uh, we did this week start a, um, a new uh, YouTube channel. Uh, we call it Intrinsic Value Wealth Report TV. You can access all of our publications by going to the Intrinsic Value Wealth Report newsletter. So in our media group, the Intrinsic Value Wealth Report media group, we have actually four publications, if you will. We have the original Intrinsic Value Wealth Report, which is a uh, which I use primarily now for teaching classes and just providing education material. Um, then we have the Intrinsic Value, New, uh, Intrinsic Value Wealth Report newsletter. You probably got to this podcast, or you may have gotten to this podcast through the newsletter. Um, and uh, then we have now a, a radio station, which is this podcast you're listening to, as well as the TV station, which is the YouTube channel. You can access all those from the podcast you can access, I'm sorry, the, the podcast and the YouTube channel from the podcast tab on Intrinsic Value Wealth Report newsletter. There's also a link there under resources to get to the original um, uh, Intrinsic Value Wealth Report. If you are just listening to this podcast, you found it some other way, the newsletter is um, IV, like Intrinsic Value, Intrinsic Value Wealth Report Newsletter.com. So that's IV. Uh, as in intrinsic value, so ivwealthreportnewsletter.com. It's a pay-what-you-want format, um, you know, as we're kind of just getting our feet on the ground, starting out with this new, these new podcasts and TV stations and so forth. Um, pay what you want. You can pay as little as a dollar. I would encourage you just to do that. Get your feet wet with us. See if you like it. Uh, the idea is, is that everyone gets, you know, different benefits from uh, newsletters and podcasts and so forth. And so... Uh, so the, the, the pay what you want goes from a dollar to $99. Please don't spend $99. It's not, uh, we're, we're not there yet where we, um, where we really feel comfortable charging that much. But just pay a dollar to get into it. Um, and uh, we're, we'd love to have you as, um, as subscribers uh, to our various publications. Everything else, by the way, right now is, is free. The, the old Intrinsic Value Wealth Report has always been free, will always be free. Um, and then the... Uh, uh, the podcast and the YouTube channel are, are uh, no charge as well. Um, and, and then the last thing I wanted to mention real quick is you should always look at our Intrinsic Value Wealth Report. Um, I'm sorry, our Intrinsic Value Wealth Creation Pyramid, um, which talks about, um, and there was a, a related article I wrote in Forbes called Nine of the Best Ways to Build Wealth, which uses that, that wealth creation pyramid and really talks about the major, nine major categories of, of building wealth. Um, I use this when I'm working with various groups, when I you know, give various public talks, um, and when I teach classes. And I'm teaching, by the way, at Cal State LA again this summer. I just finished up with some of my classes at Cal State LA and Cal Baptist, but starting at Cal State LA this summer with a, another financial planning course, I use this wealth creation pyramid in that, that course. Um, so it's, it's worth looking at. You'll find it at the end of the commentary section 
um, of, the, uh, of the, the newsletter, Intrinsic Value Wealth Report newsletter. That's it for now. Um, have a great rest of your weekend, and we will talk to you next week.